Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, April 12th, we're studying 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. As those who have been chosen by God to be his people, we are sojourners and exiles in this life. How do we live in this world, particularly in relation to the governing authorities? St. Peter gives direction for our lives as Christians in today's text. Tell us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today. We have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It's always fun times. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Pastor Hull, as we get started, let's talk a little context. What has St. Peter been addressing in this epistle so far that is helpful as we go into today's text? What's amazing as you look through it, you start with this born again to a living hope. And you see as he walks through chapters one and into chapter two, he's setting up that you are, those who are in Christ, are a holy people. And it's a beautiful setup. I I love, um, where is it? Oh, I believe it was verse 20 through 21 of chapter one. He says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This lovely picture St. Peter is drawing, painting for his hearers is God is claiming you as his own. And that's what you're seeing here throughout this epistle is once you were not a people, it, that's verse 10, right before our reading today. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. So that's the setup you have going through this epistle of Peter is those who are God's people. It's just fantastic stuff. And he introduced his epistle at the very beginning after saying, you know, apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. And, and that right. that's really been a theme that he's been playing with all along. And he brings <laughs> it back out into the fore here with our text today as he urges Christians to live as sojourners and exiles. And I really think that, that what he did in the previous text, as you said, by calling us together God's people— I mean, I think that's that's key to understanding not only this text, but really the whole epistle that, you know, where is my identity? Is it as one who is a part of this world or is it one who is a part of God's kingdom? And, and Peter really sets that foundation for us to to live as a Christian. It starts with knowing who I am in Christ. I belong to him. I'm a part of his people. Exactly. And that's why it's beautiful. The end of verse 10 You are the ones who receive God's mercy. That's who you are. One who is not condemned because of your sins, but one who is forgiven because your father in heaven is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is for you. And it's it's that then sets you in the context of this world. It sets you and says, okay, this is who you are. 
And now every relationship you have is in that context of one who has received and continues to receive the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and every relationship in this world, what Peter's going to do after the first two verses, which I think form a bit of a bridge between the text we looked at yesterday and what we start looking at today, he's going to go into, beginning in verse 13, what you might call a table of duties. He's Mm -hmm. he's going to begin to address, okay, Christians— As one who is a member of God's people, how do you live in these various offices that God has given? Today, we're going to look at how do we live as citizens under governing authorities, but we're also going to see how servants live under their masters, how wives and husbands live together. He's going to—I mean, Paul will do this as well, present to— the Christian church, a table of duties. What does it mean to live as God's people in very practical ways, you know, that, that you and I live in on a daily basis? Well, and that's why it's beautiful to be Lutheran. You have that beautiful ending of the catechism toward the end, the table of duties, preachers and hearers, governing authority, citizens, husbands, wives, children. Luther cares about this biblical doctrine of vocation. So when we read through this epistle of Peter, This is something that we just soak up. We're like, yes, this is what it's all about. I'm a forgiven child of God that now lives in the context in which God has placed me. I'm a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, a son or a daughter, citizen, governing, an employer, employee. And especially today, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a citizen in the context of whatever governing authority God has placed over us at that time. So let's take a look at the text. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That's our text for today, First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Pastor Hull, I want to talk a little bit about that very first word. Peter calls these Christians beloved. It's We've talked a little bit about this in previous shows, that it's likely that Peter is writing to churches that he's never met personally to these, mm-hmm. these elect exiles in <clears throat> Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and yet he labels them beloved. Uh, that's just a fantastic greeting right here. Oh, it is, because uh, when you look at this, what does it mean to be beloved? It means I'm claiming you as a fellow brother and sister, one who is loved by God, just like I am, just as God in Christ loves me, meaning I'm the one who betrayed. I'm the one who denied Christ. I mean, yes, Judas is the betrayer, but when we look at the denial of Peter, I mean, this is just as atrocious as a betrayal. He denies him three times, and yet Christ absolves him, forgives him, claims him as his own. And then, as we read in the Mark 16, when the angel speaks to Mary Magdalene, 
she he says or the angel i don't know does the angel yeah he, what we'll go with that he says you know go and tell the apostles and peter i love that addition in mark it's even showing even the one who denied jesus go and tell him and now you have peter writing this epistle beloved you who are loved along with me so it doesn't matter what your sin is in christ it is forgiven we know you don't want to live this way worry not in christ it is absolved i know you want to do better that's in our private confession and absolution the penitent confesses their sins and then says i want to do better i don't want to be this way anymore peter doesn't want to be known as peter the denier he wants to be saint peter and all of us want to be this but the only way we are saints is in the love of christ the forgiveness of sins that he purchased and won on the cross for us. So he says to those that he writes to, he says, you are the ones loved along beside me. Mm. It's wonderful stuff. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so beloved then is referring to himself and to his recipients as those loved by Christ. And I think also loved by each other that, that Peter shares that love toward them. And this kind of goes toward the very end of what we read today, where he says, love the brotherhood, that because Peter is one loved by Christ and forgiven by Christ, and those to whom he writes are also those loved and forgiven by Christ, together they love each other, even though they may have never met personally, they are beloved to one another. Kind of like, well, I mean, you and I have met personally a couple times, but it's not like we're next door neighbors. And yet you call me no. brother Apple every, every time because that's who we are in Christ. Yes. Well, and, and that's the beautiful part. I can't wait to see you at our convention this summer. I'll give you a big old hug. You'll run away. I'll catch you. Well, you're a lot small. You're much more fit than I am. So you'll probably <laughs> out, outrun me. Um, but I, I'm persistent. That's how, you know, I, I get most of the things I desire in life. I, I don't give up. And, and that hug will happen. But the reality is I, I love this understanding of loving each other. Um we are all stained in the blood of Christ, covered in his righteousness. And we look at each other and we don't see all oh, what they said about me or something that happened in the past. Or What we see is Jesus. And why wouldn't you hug him? It's in the Gospel of John, right? When Mary Magdalene runs up and hugs him and says, Rabboni, Rabboni, I don't know how you pronounce it. This, this beloved greeting a loving greeting. And that's how we see each other is those that we, we just love to be around. We want to bear the cross with them, to walk this pilgrim road with them, because we know that where we're going is a great place and we're going to dwell there forever. Mm. <laughs> it's, ah, oh, I said this yesterday in my Easter sermon. I, I said, why don't we comprehend this? Why don't we get it that this resurrection changes us completely? that now the rest of the world sees us as crazy people because Christ has rescued us from the despair of the world so that we may have joy that can't ever be taken away. And we have that with each other. It's wonderful. I, I think that really goes into <clears throat> the way that Peter continues. He, he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now we, we mentioned that previously. We come to those terms again, sojourners and exiles. He's he's said exiles before. Here he adds sojourners. 
why is it that Christians need to see themselves as sojourners and exiles right now? We have, when we look at the life of the baptized, I, I wish Lutherans could claim the word pilgrim again. You know, you have the book Pilgrim's Progress. Have you, You've read this book. I'm sorry. Right or no? I have not. Uh, I, but I, I know the book that you're talking about. <laughs> but I mean, if you read if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, it's it's mainly a, a book to encourage you to be a better person, to live this virtuous life. And Lutherans, some Lutherans, not all, but a lot, they kind of shy away from this pilgrimage language. And even with Luther, I mean, if you read his when you read his writings, he he critiques pilgrimages all the time. But he's critiquing these pilgrimages that are false pilgrimages, these ones that are toward these holy places that Rome will then say, oh, because you walked there and did this, you have, you know, these amount of good works that are merited toward you. But when we look at the real life of the baptized, it is a pilgrimage through this valley of the shadow of death, like in Psalm 23, or Luther in the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer, this valley of sorrow. You have Gerhard. He carries us through the strife of this life to his joy immortal from that hymn, Why Should Cross and Trial Grieve Me? This world is not something we despise and hate as if it doesn't matter, but rather this world is something we are journeying through. We're on the pilgrimage road through it, inviting others to enjoy the things we have. The freedom we have, the joy we have, the comfort we have, the assurance that we have, that you don't have to hyperventilate about everything, because in Christ you have everything. You have eternal life, you have forgiveness, you have the new heavens and the new earth in Christ. Come and join me on this path. It's wonderful. It's freeing. And it releases your conscience from the burden of guilt. And that sojourner is a wonderful way of saying it is, I'm not storing up barns in this life. I'm not filling up things in this life as if it's the only one that matters. Rather, I'm journeying through this life because I'm being prepared for, well, where is it? Second Corinthians oh, 4, 16 through 18, I believe, where St. Paul talks about we're being prepared for that weight of eternal glory. Mm beyond all compare, beyond all comprehension. And that's what this life is. We're being prepared for that. We're walking and being carried toward that by Christ. You, you mentioned Luther and what he says about pilgrimages. In, in, his, in his works, this is volume 30 on the Catholic epistles, which includes, yes. includes this text from 1 Peter. He actually, he, use, he doesn't talk about pilgrims, but he uses the image of an, of an inn or a, a hotel, mm-hmm. we might say today. So let me, let me read a little bit from Luther, because I, I think he just, he nails this, right, so well here. Let's see, let's start here. Since you are now one with Christ and wholly one cake, since his goods are your goods, since what harms you harms him, since he cares about everything you have, therefore you should tread in his footsteps and conduct yourselves as though you were no longer citizens in the world, for your possessions are now in heaven and not on earth. Even though you have lost all your temporal goods, you still have Christ, and he is worth more than all that. The devil is a prince of the world, and he rules it. His citizens are the people of the world. Therefore, since you are not of the world, 
you must act like a stranger in an inn who does not have his possessions there, but only takes food and gives his money for it. For here there is only a stopover where we cannot remain. We must proceed on our journey. Therefore we should use temporal goods for no other purpose than clothing and food. Then we depart for another land. We are citizens in heaven. On earth we are pilgrims and guests. Thus far, oh. far isn't that fantastic? Oh. You know, I mean, you People go. We need to read Luther more. Oh, it's, it's it was fantastic. Wonderful. You know, I mean, we're you know, so so we'll we'll Lord willing see each other at the district convention in a couple of months, and and there will be a hotel, and and we're not going to bring all of our earthly possessions to that hotel. We bring our our food, our clothes, just what we need because we don't live there. We live at home, and and I mean, it's just a fantastic image for the the Christian life, and and that goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. Whose people? are we where where is our citizenship to use that i mean i think paul picks up on that language in ephesians chapter 2 and i think it's here in in peter as well it matters what people we belong to and when we find ourselves belonging to christ that changes how we live in this world it's wonderful and i love how luther phrases this we need these temporal things for just food and clothing and how we have fallen out of this in the Lutheran church. I mean, every church has, um, but we, we can specifically speak of the Lutheran one. And imagine if we actually lived that way, how beautiful it would be, how fantastic it would be that if we just were not even worried, if we understood who we are in Christ that we are here to bear the cross together, to walk with each other, to realize that these things that the rest of the world worries about, those are idols. Those are false gods. And all those gods do is drain you. They take from you. Our God is the God that gives to us, that gives to us in the emptiness of our existence. The, what is it, tohu and bohu, the emptiness and void. He speaks to us and creates joy and love and peace. And we share that with each other. Oh, if the church could just be this way, this house of joy, this place of rejoicing in each other's existence as the beloved, as we journey through this life together. And um, I don't know how to get to that. I believe the only way we can is through prayer and preaching, singing, maybe flooding ourselves with the word of God, <laughs> inwardly digesting it, being like uh, Dr. Veltz is with just being able to recite Mark 16 from memory. Maybe that's the way we do it. Make the word of God your only vocabulary, and it'll make things a little better for us, better in a heavenly way, not a worldly way. Yeah, I mean, when you look through Peter's epistle here, you can see that vocabulary that he's using. All, all the things that he's he said so far, he's quoted the Old Testament quite <clears throat> specifically several times already. But in the last text, particularly, he was just alluding to it all over the place. Even in those words we've referred to several times now, you were not a people, now you are a people. You had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. He's he's quoting there from Hosea chapter Hosea. two. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's amazing how Peter's language is just steeped in the word of God. And and what a, what a better way to 
to stay grounded in that reality of who we are and whose we are. Because as, as Peter says, there is a, a war that's happening. The passions of our flesh wage war against us. And he's, he's warned us previously, back in chapter 1, verse 13, Peter said, and it, the ESV translates it, preparing your minds for action. The Greek is a little more vivid. It says, gird up the loins of your minds. Be mm-hmm. ready for battle. And it, it's like he's coming back to that imagery here in, in this context of, of where do you belong? And, and if, right. if I can try to put this in the context, then the, the problem with the passions of the flesh here is that they would convince us or they would try to convince us that this is our home that we belong to this world, to this life that is passing away. The the various passions of our flesh would, would convince us of that. And, you know, sometimes those passions, I, I think, are not necessarily the bad things, but they're, they're good things that we take and elevate into idols, as you were saying earlier. And and what what's going to protect us from that? It is the word of God, the, the word oh, yeah. that Peter says at the end of chapter one, the, the good news that was preached to you. And this is why, as you mentioned earlier, this is a beautiful bridge to St. Peter talking about submission to authority. When you look at Jesus, there wasn't one leading authority that he could say, this is my guy. He can't go into Pilate and say, "Okay, this is the guy you should follow or to Herod. This is the guy you should follow. He, he, He can't point to any of them. They're all corrupt. They're all wicked. They're all evil. (laughs) He can't point to any of them. And so much in the church today depends on that. Um, You know, where is your allegiance to some worldly governing authority rather than to who are you in Christ? Who is Jesus said you are? You are one who is forgiven and destined for the eternal dwellings. That's who you are. So act accordingly. Act as one that is a citizen of heaven. What does uh, C.S. Lewis say? Joy is the serious business of heaven. And that's what we're about. We're about the business of Easter, the reality of the resurrection. That in Christ, I love that ending of the Nicene Creed. Um one baptism for the remission of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life that is to come. That's what we confess, the life that is to come. That's who we are. We will be raised up on the last day and live in the new heavens and new earth. That's our definition. And if we just abide by that and walk in it, oh, man, the church will be unstoppable. But <laughs> we get a little too bogged down with worldly things instead. Well, and, and so Peter's admonition to wage war against these things or, or to recognize you know, that they are waging war against you. <clears throat> so stay, keep your, your loins girded. Stay ready for this action because this is the reality of living in this world. And I think that really connects to what you were saying about how Peter has talked about being born again. On several occasions, we have been born into that new life, into the heavenly kingdom. That gift has come to us early right now, but we're also living right now in the flesh with these passions around us attacking us. And so the, the challenge for us as Christians is to is to live in that struggle and always to stay grounded in the reality that 
this is what God has done for me. He has given me this new life, this new birth. He's made me a citizen of his kingdom. I want to live there and struggle against the the passions of the flesh that would teach me to live here instead. It's um this this past week we watched a series of movies with the boys. We have the fi- we have five children, four boys and little girl. Little girl just bounces around. She doesn't notice stuff yet. Um, but the four boys they they get things. So we watched things like The Passion of the Christ, and then we watched the greatest story ever told. I'm afraid to ask this. I haven't seen it. Have you seen? Okay, I I knew it was coming. Um, but I've read the book. <laughs> it is a good book though too. I've read the book. <laughs> ah. I love it. I love it. Oh, me. It's actually, that's the funny part. Someone actually made a book out of the movie, too. So that's why <laughs> she meant. But then I was like, oh, no, he meant the Bible. Um, but in this, they take some license with the way things are said. There's this beautiful story where Jesus played by oh, Max Van Sandow, the guy who plays the old priest in The Exorcist plays Jesus in this movie. And um, The Exorcist is a movie about a girl who's demon-possessed. I don't know if you knew that, but it's it's fun times. But <laughs> in this movie, the greatest story ever told, they have this story where this part where Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter's like, someone stole my cloak. And, you know, it's the, from the scriptures, well, if they do this, then give them this. They ask for your cloak, give them your robe also. They want you to go one mile, go with them too. And Peter's response is, and is, you know, if, if everyone lived the way you said to, then thieves and wicked people would just run the world. And that's when in the movie, they take what Jesus says to Pilate and they put it in this part. My kingdom is not of this world. And if we could just get that through our skulls, <laughs> then we get it that everything in this world is against us. It's waging war against us because we're of a different kingdom. We have one, we have, we are in both kingdoms, the kingdom of the right and the left, those two kingdoms of, of, of Christ and then the civil. But the reality is we are those who are destined to live forever with Jesus. And the devil does not like that. He hates it. So he's going to do everything to convince us that it's wrong, including Maybe a cloak matters more than our neighbor being warm in the midst of their nothingness. It's just beautiful stuff. Uh, and we're going to pick up more of how Peter teaches us to live as Christians here in this life among the Gentiles. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharper Iron on KFO. I have Pastor Chris Hull talking about First Peter chapter 2. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, April 12th. We're studying 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17 with Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we left off with verse 12. The apostle says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, Peter, I think, is picking up on several things that he's already touched on. This matter of your deeds being seen and then glorifying God goes back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about being the light of the world. I think it mm-hmm. connects very well with what Peter just said about proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does Peter have in mind there with verse 12? Masks is what he has in mind. Masks. I know that sounds crazy, um, but I'm, I'm a crazy person. No, when you think about this, this past year, I mean, everybody loves debating masks. Do they work? Do they not work? You know, oh, it's actually worse for you because if you wear one, you get the virus. If you, you know, and, and the reality is this is I was reading um, one of my I have, a, you know, friends on every side of the spectrum, family relations. And I had a, a more liberal leaning friend who posted a, a video of a conversation between a leftist and a a pro-lifer back in January. And the pro-lifer wasn't wearing a mask. And the person said, well, don't you care about everyone's life? He said, and the pro-lifer then said, my body, my choice. If I don't want to wear a mask, I won't. And a bunch of people loved it. And I said, this is the worst thing ever because you are allowing yourself to be manipulated by a worldly argument And then you get on board with it instead of saying, you know what? It doesn't matter. (laughs) The reality is this is I'm not a scientist. I don't care about what masks do or don't do. What I do care is that I'm not going to say something as dumb as my body, my choice and enter the same argument as a liberal who agrees with abortion. Instead, I'll put the mask on and say, "Okay, your turn. What's your argument now? Don't don't try to make me out to be the holier than thou who doesn't care about people. I am pro-life. I care about life from womb to tomb because that's what Christ himself claimed as his own. He cares about the moment of conception all the way to the last breath and then some under the life to come. And that's what I do as well. So, yeah, I'll put a mask on because I'm pro-life. I love my neighbor. Here you go leftist let's discuss it and then they stand there and they go oh no i have nothing to say anymore that person just eliminated my argument they're actually putting their money where their mouth is but we didn't do that because majority of christians yet again as i mentioned earlier in our conversation jesus did not have one politician to point to and say that's my guy i'm red or i'm blue I'm a Republican or a constitutionalist or libertarian or a Democrat. Jesus doesn't doesn't do that. Instead, he preaches the truth. And that's what we are called to do. And when we looked at our conduct being free from sin, it's removing any argument that the world may have against us. The world says you're this. No, we're not. (laughs) And why I use masks is that's not the only issue, obviously, but one that at least maybe people can get their mind around right now. Mm. 
Well, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the way Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 9 about, right. to the Jews I became a Jew, to the, and right. I, I'm not quoting him perfectly, to the Gentiles I became like a Gentile in order to, to win them, to, to speak the truth to them, so that there's nothing that they can say against me that would prove to be a stumbling block to this this faith, other than what the faith actually is. We're not talking about compromising the faith, right? We preach Christ crucified, and if they stumble over that, well, they stumble over that. Peter's addressed that already. But but perhaps we should, as Christians, not think of, okay, how can I one-up his tweet so that mine gets more likes? Right. Rather, how can I love him? How can I use, and, and to get a little bit into what Peter's going to talk about, you know, how can I live in my freedom, not as a cover up for evil, but as a servant of God who is loving my neighbor. And and look at I mean, look at what happens when we when we do that. You know, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, among the heathen, so that they would speak against you as evildoers, but then actually see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I mean, I think as, as I was reflecting on this in preparation, you know, well, how does how does that happen? How how does how does someone see a Christian's good deeds and then glorify God? My my mind, we just came out of the study of of Saint Mark of his gospel, mm-hmm. and and my mind went to what actually happens with Jesus on the cross. You've mm-hmm. got that centurion who's standing there at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus. Presumably, the centurion being among those, because everybody's mocking Jesus while he's dying. But then what does the centurion see? He sees how Jesus breathes his last, and he confesses, truly, this is the Son of God. Right. I mean, I, I think that stands as a, a pretty big watershed moment for what Peter's talking about here. Look what happened in the, the moment of Jesus' death. This, this one who had been mocking Jesus as an evildoer suddenly in the death of Jesus sees that truly he is the son of God. I mean, it's just an astounding thing. And, and Peter is calling us to a similar conduct as Christians. I was talking with my, my boys this past week and they've been watching all these moments of John the Baptist. And they said, why doesn't anyone preach that way anymore? I said, because no one lives that way anymore. We don't have a guy that will live like John the Baptist. <laughs> And it's kind of hard to preach it when you don't actually live it. St. Paul writing, he says, how can I preach and then boxed at the wind? I must keep myself under control lest I fall after preaching this to others. We mustn't become like the Pharisees when Jesus says, do what they say, not what they do. And we must beware of that, that we are to walk in meekness, humility, living for our neighbor, no matter who they are. And the church struggles with this because we have that lovely semel, and the old Adam loves to run the show in the midst of the church even. And we have to resist that constantly. And we like resisting it when it comes to those dark sins, those bad things. But when it comes to like nationalism, you know, imagine the pastor that takes his American flag out of the sanctuary. Now, we don't have them at Zion. We don't have a flag in the sanctuary at Zion. But I've been to churches that do, and if I took that out, I would be considered a terrible person, an unbeliever almost. My patriotism question, because I hate America. I was like, no. It's just the reality that if I went to a, uh, oh, what are they called? I just, embassy, an embassy. If I went to the American embassy in France, let's say in Paris, I would not find a French flag inside of the embassy. I'd find an American flag. 
One of the problems with the church over the last year is we've been very prideful of our constitution and our freedom as Americans, and it's wonderful to be an American, but we mustn't let it overcome our identity as Christians. There are Christians in Korea. There are Christians in Vietnam. There are Christians in Japan, India, South Africa, Madagascar, Germany. I mean, it doesn't matter where they are. They are those who are claimed by Christ, God's people, and they don't have a nationality. They don't have a political party. They have the truth of God's word, and we have to cling to that. Now, that, I think— propels us forward into the rest of the text, because as Peter begins this table of duties that that we've been saying, he starts with how the Christian church lives in relation to the governing authorities. And, And he starts, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as, I mean, that's, that's something to hear Peter talk about the emperor here. Hmm. You know, I mean, likely Peter is writing during Nero's reign, probably the early stages Perhaps the persecution hasn't gotten terrible yet, but we know where Nero's headed, and he may have already started by this point. Peter is likely writing to Christians who are under persecution from governing authorities, and he calls upon them to be subject to those institutions. So, I mean, how do—maybe I'll I'll throw it to you this way—how do Christians live in that tension, recognizing that, yes, we are members of God's kingdom, that is where our citizenship is— I am first and foremost a Christian, and then I am an American. But I am an American, and and that mm-hmm. does play into how I live in this world. How do how do we live? Does that make sense, Pastor Hall? How do we live in that oh, yeah. tension? Uh, I, this has been a struggle. I think last year with the COVID shutdowns really just amplified it. Um, like you and I both live in the good state of Texas where guns are probably part of our religion. (laughs) And I was listening to a debate on NPR the other day, even though I'm a conservative person, um, and they were making the argument about gun violence. And it's amazing. I, this is something I thought of when I heard it. Would people put as much of a fight up over their Bible as their guns being taken away? And I really don't think they would because we never read the thing. We get it on Sunday morning for a few minutes. Maybe we read it during the week, but we don't value it. We don't love it. We don't cherish it. We don't inwardly digest it. Do we take those beautiful Psalms 23, 31, 46, 90? Do we take Psalm 1? Are we the man who meditates on God's law day and night? Are we that tree that's planted by streams of water? Or are we Americans that happen to be Christians? And I believe that's where we're at. We are people who live here who happen to identify as Christian people. And until we wake up and realize that, we're going to have a hard time with the discussion about living in the two kingdoms. Because we have more than one foot in the kingdom of the left. We have one and a half feet there. (laughs) The other half foot is in the kingdom of the right. And uh, we can even look at this. How how often do we, how how many hours do we devote to my son playing baseball or basketball or football or swimming? 
how often do I devote to movie watching and TV shows? Well, I just watched uh, 20 episodes on Netflix this weekend. Well, did I read the entire book of Peter, which is what, four chapters, five chapters, five chapters? I, I couldn't even read the five chapters of First Peter, yet I could watch the entire Tiger King series in one night. So I guess the answer, at least in my point in the ministry, is repent. You're a terrible Christian. You're a great American, but you're not that good at being a Christian. And that needs to change because kingdoms rise and fall. Trust not in princes, for they are but mortal. And cling to the king who is the king of kings who lives and reigns to all eternity. Because on the last day, it's not going to be Trump or Biden you answer to. It's going to be Jesus. And you're either in him covered in his righteousness or in yourself clinging to your false gods. Or maybe that's too dark an answer. I don't know. I, I think that one of the, the really important phrases that we should not miss in Peter's words here concerning the way the Christian lives in relationship to the government is, is that the very beginning of verse 13 where he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to right. every human institution. Our The way we interact with our government, the way we live as a citizen, is done for the Lord's sake. It is not what you might call a blind obedience to the government mm-hmm. said it, therefore I do it. But it right. is a recognition that I am first and foremost under the Lord. I am a servant of God. I mean, that's you know, verse 16, <laughs> live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So when I live in relationship to the American government or the the state of Texas or the city of Smithville or the city of Tomball, in your case, I live Mm -hmm. first and foremost as a servant of God. And as a servant of God, then what do I do in relationship to the government? Well, I'm I'm subject to it. And again, but that's that's because of who, it's not because I have to, as if I'm somehow compelled to do it, but it's because I love the Lord and because of who he has made me as his, as his child. And, and in doing that, then as Peter says in verse 15, by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So the government says you should wear a mask when you are in public. I go ahead and wear a mask. Why? Not, not so much because the government said you must do it or else, but because I recognize who I am as the Lord's and where he has placed me under this human authority, which is a good human authority. It's it's good that we have human authority, as, as Peter says, right, that mm-hmm. governors are sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those. who. That's, that's a good thing that evil doesn't just run rampant, that we have governing authority. And so I, I rejoice to live under this gift of God, but I do it. I do it in the freedom that he has given me, and I use that freedom to serve others. I, I've, hopefully, I'll let you respond to that. Well, no, and that's the reality. Uh, it, it reminds me of Thomas More with Henry VIII. He always keeps going. He, he always kept going back to the authority. Now, his is the authority of the pope as opposed to the authority of Henry VIII, and that's what he keeps going back to with us. It is going to the authority of Scripture, going to God. And my reality is, and this isn't some mission statement like, oh, I got to save as many people as possible. But the reality that this isn't who God has ordained me to be. 
I remember when I was um, confirmed, they gave me the book. It's time to be bold by Michael W. Smith. Do you remember him? I know Michael W. R- Smith. Yep. You know, Contemporary R- Christian music artist. Yeah. And he had this song called my place in this world. That was one of his prominent ones. And I loved it when it came out because I'm like, Oh, what is it? Well, this is the reality of who you are. You are a forgiven child of God. That's who you are. You are freed in that forgiveness from the jaws of hell, from the temptations of the devil, from the terror of death, <laughs> from the worries of the world, you're freed from it. You now know that God loves you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And where's your place in this world? When you see someone else suffering, when you see someone else burdened, when you see that person clinging more to an idol than to God's word, say, brother, sister, take heart. Christ has died for you to free you from this to free you from those idols. He stands with you in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace so that you may not be harmed by it. I mean, maybe that's the text we should be reading right now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, they're not pompous and arrogant about it. They merely bow their heads and they say, hey, if this is the, what we're going to suffer, we'll suffer it. And they get thrown into it, knowing that Christ is with them the whole way. And like you said, it's all for God. That's why we submit. That's why we don't we don't give into the party politics. Um, it's not that you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian church. You are a Lutheran church, one that clings to the gospel. And that's what matters the most in it. And in the end, I care more that someone will dwell with me eternally than – <laughs> what what we may agree upon here on earth that dies when we both die. If I can add a little bit of, of Luther's commentary, I think there's he has some helpful words as to how we take these texts from First Peter and apply them. He's commenting here on the last verse of our text, verse 17, fear God, honor the emperor particularly. And, and Luther says this, we should be subject to power, and do what they order, so long as they do not bind our conscience, and so long as they give commands that pertain to external matters only, even though they deal with us as tyrants do. That, that's that's quite something. The Luther says that when they're giving commands that pertain to external orders, even if they deal with you like a tyrant, you should do what they, they say. That's I mean, I think masks, that, that talks to that. Then he, he continues, Luther again, for if anyone takes our coat, we should let him have our cloak as well. Matthew 5, as you said. Then Luther, but if they want to encroach on the spiritual rule and want to take Mm. our conscience captive where God alone must sit and rule, one should by no means obey them and should sooner let them have one's life. Which I think, I mean, that that played out in the the presentation of the Augsburg Confession when when they would would rather have had their heads chopped off than give up their confession of faith. But when it comes to these external matters and, and the Christian, what does it mean to live in that Christian freedom? Well, it means to love my neighbor. That's what it means. Right. And, and I'm not going to give the, the evildoer, I'm not going to give the, the heathen, the Gentile, the chance to use me as a stumbling block to coming to faith. I want them to, to hear the good news. I mean, as Peter said in those first couple of verses, so that they could see the good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
being subject to governing authorities is a part of that. It's not giving up our, our confession of faith. We should not do that by any means. We, we fear God above all else. But when it comes to our life in this world, under governing authorities, we are subject to them, again, for the Lord's sake. I love it when we look at those spiritual things, because I asked people this past year, I said, what were you the most upset about that was taken away from you? And they said, well, I couldn't come to church on Sunday. I said, that's great. I love hearing that. Can you tell me what you missed about Sunday morning coming to church? Was it the words from the sermon? Was it the absolution? Was it the Kyrie? Was it the Agnus Dei, the Nuc Dimittis? What was it? And I didn't ask this in a mean way. I asked this in a nice way. And they're like, um, I said, let's meditate here for a minute. Because you weren't here last Sunday. What you didn't like was your choice was taken away. So let's just call a thing what it is, because that's what a theologian of the cross does. And why all of us were so upset for a while was because, not because our faith was taken away, but because our right to reject our faith was taken away. And we need to repent of that and realize that our Lord does not condemn us. He loves us. He forgives us. And he wants you in church. It's good that you want to keep the third commandment. But you keep it because you know those words are your life. And of course, some people, when I said that, they, you know, said, yeah, you're right, pastor. Others, they transfer to a different church after that. But I believe that's really where it's at because, and I said this a few weeks ago, Holy Week this year could be one of the most depressing weeks for a pastor because the house isn't bursting at the seams with everyone who was so upset last year that they didn't get it. And that can be very depressing. Or we can realize this is the condition of the world, is even the church has gone after it rather than going after Christ. And that's why we then get crucified just like he did. I don't know. It's going to be interesting going forward when we look at submitting to authority like this Equality Act and things like that. How do we submit to something that is contrary to the faith? while at the same time confessing the faith joyfully and in love for our neighbor. It's going to be difficult, but that's why we have to get back to loving the brotherhood. Let us not devour each other, but feast on Christ while we have the time so that we can actually withstand the terrible day that could come. Hmm. If I may, with Luther again, just because you brought you know, how do we live under authority when it seems yeah. that authority is turning against us? Luther Luther suggests this, and I'm I, again. I'm not, it's not a one to one, but I think it's helpful. He says, therefore, if an emperor or a prince were to ask me now what my faith is, I would have to tell him, not because of his command, but because it is my duty to confess my faith publicly before everybody. Again, I think that that played out in the giving of the Augsburg Confession and at numerous other moments throughout the history of the Christian Church. Yes, Luther continues though, <laughs> but if he wanted to go beyond this and commanded me to believe this or that, I would have mm. to say, my dear Lord, attend to your secular rule. You have no authority to meddle in God's kingdom. Therefore, I refuse to obey you. Which I, I think, mm. I mean, you know, and and 
Luther, I mean, well, Luther sometimes maybe doesn't speak respectfully, <laughs> but no. but th- those words, those words there are not disrespectful. They simply are a matter of confessing the faith, which is is part and parcel of what he said in the first part. You know, if if the emperor wants me to confess my faith, I'm going to do it because that's what I'm I'm bound to do as a Christian. If the emperor wants to make me believe something that I cannot believe because of what God's word teaches, then I'm still going to give that faithful confession. I mean, right. I think I think that's that's helpful as we we live in a in this tension, and we're we're starting to feel it more as Americans, I think, now than perhaps we've been forced to to feel it or think about it as much as we had in the past. That that what am I trying to do as a Christian when it comes to living under this authority? I'm I want to confess my faith in it, and so part of that confession of faith is submitting to that authority, where I'm not going against the word of God. And I mean, I think, you know, Peter's Peter's already called us sojourners and exiles before he said, live in subjection to the governing authority. So he's he set up that tension for us already. <laughs> and, and where is it resolved? I, I think it comes to this matter of Christians live in God's kingdom. We're right. sojourners, exiles now. That's where we're going. And what are we doing now? We're living lives by God's grace, and and as you said, we fail all the time, and so we we constantly need that forgiveness. R- but right now, we're we're living those lives by God's grace, pointing others to the hope that we have. Those are some of my thoughts, Pastor. Hold, we got about two minutes. I'll let you wrap things up, and and as you always do, point us to Christ, the grace that's ours in this text. <laughs> when we look at this text, this is the reality: you are sojourners and exiles. You're going somewhere. You're not going to a bad place. You're going to the greatest place. You are going to the new heavens and the new earth because Christ has died and risen for you. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. That's the reality. Your reality is now the resurrection of Jesus. That because Jesus is risen, you too on the last day shall bodily be raised and shall gaze upon the beauty of the Lord face to face. That's who you are. That's your reality. That's your fate, your destination. You're not going to the dentist to get a root canal. You're going to Chuck E. Cheese with $500 in your pocket. It's awesome. It's going to be great. And what do you do along the drive there? You rejoice. You anticipate. You tell stories to each other. You tell the stories of Christ, the stories of the Old Testament, the stories of forgiveness of mercy, of grace, of cross-bearing. You point each other to Christ and say, hey, there's the guy in Matthew 11 who said, come to me and I will take your burden upon me. He's the one that does it all for us. That's who we are. So when the world is putting us down, when even the governing authorities who should be following God's word but aren't are persecuting us, We comfort one another in the reality that we are Christ's and he is ours, and we are going to live with him forever. We are citizens of his kingdom, which has no end. And every Sunday, every time we gather at church, every time we read devotions, every time we pray, we participate in that. What greater joy can we have than to know that we are citizens of heaven? the sons and daughters of the king that will live under the ages of ages. Praise the Lord for that, and amen. Pastor Chris Hall serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, helping us this morning with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Pastor Hall, thanks for being our guest. 
you for having me. It's always fun times, Brother Apple. I love it. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about 1 Peter chapter 2 or any of this epistle, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.